Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome back author Greg Hickey. We're going to have a really fun chat. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Here's Greg. Hi Greg, welcome back to the show. Hi Sherry, thank you very much for having me back. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm okay. How are things in your end of the world? Um, good. Uh, Starting to warm up here. Um, you know, people seem to be healthy. Looks like COVID nineteen cases are coming down in Chicago and around Illinois, so that's good. And hopefully, we'll have a fairly normal summer. Yeah, it's it's good here too. I mean, about they're opening movie, California. They're they're opening movie theaters and stuff. <laughs> Real movie theaters. Right. <laughs> and. Um, and they're yeah. they're talking about uh, legit theater coming back here and stuff. So, which is one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, yeah, um, and the weather is really nice right now. It's my favorite weather in Southern California. It's it's seventies and it's not humid and it's nice and breezy and it's just lovely. It's like Hawaii without the humidity. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to last, but last oh excuse me, last couple of days that's what it's been like. <laughs> Good. But uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll stay like maybe a week. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it like this. Nice breeze. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that kind of weather here. I like Chicago. I lived there for six months. It's was it's really fun. I I guys got great museums and theater and all kinds of stuff. It's beautiful. The lake's fun. I mean, the only thing I don't like about Chicago is your winter, and I don't like the tornadoes. Right. <laughs> yeah, at least in the city we don't get tornadoes, but the winters are, are tough. Yeah, I was working in the suburbs, so I got, I was, <laughs> was it four months into my six months, I had a tornado that was coming right toward where we were. Luckily, oh, okay. it didn't touch down, but I said, okay, when this time of my, because it was three months and three months, because it was a temporary thing, I was like, when my time's up, I'm going home. <laughs> I can deal with earthquakes every 20 years. <laughs> tornadoes every year. Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's me. I was, you know, you're raised there. I was raised here, so our mentalities are different when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
could have dealt with the winter. It's the tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, you, I think you get used to the winter if you lived here, you know, long enough, or if you lived here your whole life. Because yeah. I lived in when I was uh, nine years old, I lived in Ohio, and when I was okay. eleven years old, we moved to New Jersey. So I had winters, real winters. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I I know what it's like. <laughs> um, I could have dealt with it. It's like I said, I had gone through tornadoes when I lived in Ohio, and I didn't want to do it anymore. Right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's my weird psychology. <laughs> no, I think there are a lot of people who would agree with you. <laughs> um. So when. Uh, first, have you seen any movie? Uh, do you have movies that you can go to yet, or, or have they not opened up yet? Theaters are open in Chicago. I think they're at twenty-five percent capacity. I know they're not not hundred percent full, but I'm not sure if it's twenty-five or fifty percent where we're at with those. Um, but I have not been to a movie theater in over a year. Me too. Yeah, I haven't been either. Um, I figure I'll wait until. They say you don't have to wear your masks anymore. Mm-hmm. That's when I'll go to a movie theater. Because <laughs> um, we we um, they've lessened the mask thing. Um, when you get your shot, you can you don't have to wear the mask unless you're indoors and exposed to other people. But if you're outdoors and you're, you know. You're in an outdoor event or something like that, and you're not that close to someone. You don't have to wear your mask. I just wear the mask. I just rather be protected until it says, "Okay, you don't have to wear masks anymore." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everyone kind of has their own interpretations, you know, of what the guidelines say and what how they what makes them feel safe and what they need to do to take care of themselves and take care of the people around them. Yeah. Are you? Um, so, for entertainment, are you on your wife streaming, or what are you? Are are you watching movies on on demand, or what are you doing? Yeah, we've been doing a lot of streaming. So we I mean, we stream movies. Um, the Chicago Public Library has been open probably since the fall, I want to say. So we can get movies from the library too if we want to rent DVDs. Um, but obviously, it's the streaming area which. It's very convenient for a time like this, so we've been streaming as well. Yeah, I, I've been. I, I, I when streaming started, I said, oh, I'm never going to go there because I just am not into watching it on my computer. But then there's movies I really, really, really want to see, <laughs> like um, one of them was um, Blythe Spirit with Judy Dench and Dan Stevens. It's uh, the remake of the one from the 40s with Rex Harrison and Margaret Rutherford. And, and I was, like, looking forward to it. And I wanted, I was looking forward to seeing it in the theater. But, and I, but I really, I've been wanting to see it. So I finally, I, I got it. Um, and I enjoyed it. It's still hard for me to get used to it on a little screen instead of mm-hmm. at least my TV. <laughs> right. No, I mean we've been we've been streaming stuff on TV rather than on our laptops or tablets or something like that. Well, some things I can. It's like 
our cable uh, doesn't let us do a lot of that stuff. Oh, okay. You know, like, um, we have, um, we, we both want to get Discovery Plus on our, our uh, TV. We have it. But our cable isn't accepting Discovery Plus. So we can't watch it on TV. Oh. Unless there's well, some secret thing that you have that you can do that you can tell me the secret of that I can do it on my TV. <laughs> do you know yeah, some secret we thing? We, well, I don't know. We were limited early on with our cable company in getting Disney Plus, and we had to get a Amazon Fire Stick to make it work. Um, so I don't know if that's an option or if that would solve your problem. Hmm. I, I, I'm... I'm not aware of that, but I guess I can check it out. Yeah, it's just really annoying that the the ones I want to see, I can't on the TV because they don't have mm-hmm. a contract or agreement with cable. Right, yeah. It's very annoying. Um, and what have you been reading? Anything interesting? Um, I'm currently reading the second book in the Sparrow series, so... Uh, Mary Doria Russell wrote two books. Um, the first one's The Sparrow, the second one's Children of God. Um, they're first contact science fiction stories about a um, Jesuit mission to a distant planet um, and the humans making contact with the alien species, actually plural species that live on that planet. Um, and the first book was good, and then I'm enjoying the second book as well. Interesting idea, because wasn't it the Jesuits who made contact with the American Indians? <laughs> right, so I think it's kind of a, a uh, take off on that, you know. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about the Jesuits um, historically, but um, from what I understand, they're missionaries and uh, kind of had a lot of people who were... Um, very intelligent and versed in a different field, you know, whether that's history or geography or language, and so it helped, I think, historically, and it's convenient for this, the plot of this novel that the Jesuits um, have all these confined people with different expertise to, you know, go call, go send missionaries to America um, in the colonial age or send missionaries to a distant planet in the 21st century. Mm, they weren't very gentle, um, but maybe they'll be more gentle with the aliens. <laughs> yeah, and so I think a lot of um, these novels is kind of what happens when two civilizations come into contact and there's some cultural misunderstandings and the consequences of that. Interesting. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love, like, Exploring subjects like that, but hidden within fantasy or science fiction, it's just really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the moral dilemmas and and putting it out there in a way that it won't offend anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. Science fiction is a really good vehicle for those those kinds of moral dilemmas and using some hypothetical situations to kind of probe those questions. Well, you know, um, Gene Roddenberry said that when he was doing Star Trek, that he um, he 
he used to use a lot of real situations like the Vietnam, because it was the 60s, the Vietnam War and stuff like that. And he said the way he got the censors not to uh, do anything about the content was to put the girls into very, or and the men, into very provocative clothes and totally <laughs> distract them from the meat of what the episode is about. He never got anything about the philosophic or the religious or the uh, political views. It was always, can you lower the skirt? Can you make the breast less visible? Does he have to have no shirt on again? <laughs> Very clever. I know. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't biased. Men and women, he was like, okay, let's take Kirk's shirt off again. <laughs> right, whatever we have to do to distract the censors. Especially when you're talking about Vietnam in the 1960s. Um, so I think it's really, um, very interesting that when you're, um, a writer, it's like you have to feed yourself with other people's books in order to, not to get going, to get inspired to write, it's more like, it's like, like food, you know, you have to eat it. You know what I mean? Or does that make sense? Um, yeah. I think I still read mostly because I enjoy reading. Um, and I think that there are times where something that I'm reading sort of um, influences or, or influences what I'm writing. But I think I still read for love of reading and, and write for a love of telling stories. There is, I think there is a little bit of separation. I mean, it's not a hard and fast distinction, but I think there is a little bit of separation for me. I don't know, do you find that... Tell, tell me more about this idea of you know, needing to eat books in order to fuel your creative um, process. Uh, it's, it's not actually... To f well, it's not actually... It's more like when I... I've, I've always been a reader. I've been a reader since I was old enough to hold up a picture book and try to figure out the words. So, but I've always been a storyteller, too, even before I'd write. So right. they kind of were part of each other. I, I believe that fully. Uh, you can't really be a writer unless you're a reader. Um, right, yeah. I agree with that. But... I'm, I was talking more like right now, I mean, it's better now, uh, it's more open, uh, but for the last year, we've kind of been restricted on what we can do, kind of. We have been restricted in what oh, yeah. we can do. Um, we can't really take a vacation where we want to go. We can't go to Europe. We can't, you know, um, we can't go to a museum yet still. Um can't. You know, you're restricted. You can't get those influencers that you would normally... I mean, you can go in nature, but you can't go into certain areas of nature. Sure. You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. So if you're reading, it, it feeds you the stuff that is being denied right now. Okay. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, that's certainly a part of writing that I think 
requires some immersion in whether it's travel or literature or, or something where you're I don't know if I would, I would I don't know if I would use your analogy of eating or consuming fiction, but sort of immersing or swimming or swimming in other ideas and other perspectives that kind of stimulate some creativity in your own mind. That's good. I'll, I take that. That's fine. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's just um, I just think that when you I'm not saying you're taking anybody's thoughts and ideas. It's more like like you're reading a book about Spain and you might get a thought that you had never had about a certain area of Spain that might work for something and you're going to that sparks you and you have to do some research to figure out if you can work it into what you're doing. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's just kind of a matter of exposing yourself to enough ideas or content until you kind of get something that sticks with you. Right. And sometimes you're not going to use it. I mean, it's just... Um, and sometimes you go in a totally different direction. I was going to set... I have a book that I'm working on that's a thriller that's set in Israel, but originally it was set in England. And but I got this I crazy idea from a television show, and I I had to switch over to Israel and um, do a lot of research, and not only modern Israel, but ancient Israel and a bunch of other stuff. It would have been a lot easier easier if it was in England because I know a lot more about England. <laughs> sure. Um, but it just it went with the idea, the inspiration, which is actually good because it's always good to uh, research a new area and, and learn about a new area. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, my book is U.S., Israel, Morocco, Turkey, and Egypt. Oh, cool! And book. I very international thriller. Yeah, and it's really I knew about Israel. As I knew, I know about it religiously. I know about it culturally, but I don't know about the weather. I don't know about the police force. I don't know sure. about the government really. I mean, I know it's parliamentary, but it's not exactly the same parliamentary as other parliamentary governments. I mean, it's different. So you have to research that stuff. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. what, that's what I meant by. It. I mean, it's it's it's. I know about um, Egypt because I studied it about archaeology, but I don't know about, you know, different areas and what it's like, what the weather is like, what the what's the traffic like there. If they're doing a chase, can they get from here to here in a certain amount of time? Is the traffic too much or is there no traffic? Um, you know, stuff like that that wouldn't be a big deal if I said it in Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> anyway, that's right. what I meant. Yeah, you need a sense of the day-to-day information that impacts your story. Do you ever find yourself, like, 
I mean, it's part, I think part of the fun of being a writer is to find out about new areas. Is that how you feel, or is is that do you work in areas you know, or is it a completely? Um, yours is in a real world, so I would think. But you had yours is set in Chicago, so which you know very well. So do you do any research on, like maybe the history that you might not know of something? Um. Yes, I think most of my research, with the exception of. My last novel has been um, made more about different ideas. So, I mean, my first novel was set on a fictional planet, a science fiction novel. My second novel was set in a fictional city, um, which is kind of California, but it's not specified in the novel. And then my third novel was set in my hometown of Chicago. And so, so that was really the only one where I was you know, researching a, a city um, to a certain extent. And really, my research was kind of riding buses and kind of traveling around the city and going to different spots where I thought scenes might take place and trying to get a feel for, you know, what this particular corner was like in Chicago. You know, what did it feel like to be on the street in this place? Um, what are the buildings like around me? Uh, what might it look like at different times of day? And, and how the characters would feel about being in those places in those situations um, so I, I think that was it's, you know it's not a historical novel so I didn't need to delve too much into the history of Chicago it was more about getting a feel for different places in the city um, I actually one of the things I like about Chicago is they have the bus that you can get on and off at the different sites oh yeah because I was living in the suburbs when I was there and um, so I took the train in, and then I catch that bus, and I would go to like the Field Museum, or I would go to um, Mission Boulevard, or I would, you know, some a, a theater, or maybe see. I, at the time Oprah was there, I'd take it to as close as I could to where Oprah's theater was. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was so cool because it really saved them money and I didn't have a lot of extra spending money. <laughs> sure. I think they have those buses in a lot of cities, don't they? Not, I mean, I think so. I know they have, in, I grew up in Los Angeles, they don't have it there, but they do have it in Pasadena. Okay. They have it, but it's only in the small area of Pasadena and Los Angeles is a sprawling thing. It's really right, it's hard to do in Los Yeah, it's really hard to do it in L.A. Uh, I, they don't have it here in San Diego. So, it, it, I mean, it just, I think it has to have, like, a, a, an area that you can do the circular thing over and over again, mm -hmm. at, like Pasadena and Chicago. You know, they both have the same, they, it's easier for the bus to go around and around and around like that. I don't know, but that's my my theory is. <laughs> but that was one of the things I really loved was because I could go anywhere in the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a neat feature. Um, I know I've done one in Dublin, Ireland. Um, so yeah, it's a nice way to see the city, and then when you get to a site that you want to explore a little further, you hop off and you can spend, you know, an hour or whatever going through a particular museum, and then get back on the bus and go to the the next place. Yep. It's really fun. Um, I, and, and I love your field museum. I think that is still one of my favorite museums in the country. It's just yeah, it is. That's a great museum. Such a great museum. 
it has a uh, after England, um, I forgot which museum in England, but it has one of the best Egyptian exhibits that I've ever seen, including Los Angeles. Um, really, really incredible Egyptian exhibit at the field. Yeah, I think that's that's been there for a while, and I, you know, I think it was really a highlight when it opened. I mean, it's still it's still a great collection, but uh, yeah, definitely. A, really nice museum in the city. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's really interesting about what you were saying about um, taking buses and looking around your own city. I'm working on a murder mystery that's set in where I grew up, which is the San Fernando Valley in L.A., but I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of setting it back a little bit. It's not modern. It's the, the San Fernando Valley I remember. Okay. Because everything changes in LA constantly. And I sure. get kind of homesick for the one that you remember. At least I do. Right. Have you ever felt that way about, you know, an area that you grew up in and it's changed, but you kind of want to set a book in the period that you remember as the uh, young person, teenager, and adult? Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I go back to the suburbs where I grew up occasionally, and, you know, every time I go back, it's like, oh, man, the, this store is gone, or the, this street is completely different, or, you know, everything's changing all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I think almost every restaurant we went to as, kids is, are gone in LA I mean <laughs> gone boom they have parking lots um, <laughs> they, they they put a lot of parking lots up instead of really nice places and <laughs> kind of strange um, there was a great theater in West LA that I loved it was uh, it's the Schubert theater that um, it was Westwood and now there's a, they put a second parking lot complex there. What would be more important to you, the theater or a parking lot complex? You can get, there was already two huge park, park, parking lot complexes. Why do you need to knock down a gorgeous theater for a third one? <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. And it was gorgeous. Uh, I think the last one we saw was, um, all that jazz. Um, that was that was the last play we saw there, but I saw some great plays there, and it just makes me sad. I love theater, and I any time the theater disappears, it's it to me it's a tragedy. <laughs> Do you have things like that in Chicago where like things you really love get knocked down for no reason as far as you're concerned? Um. You know, I've, I've lived in Chicago for the better part of 12 years now. Uh, so I don't know that many major institutions have been knocked down. I think a lot of it is like, you know, a restaurant really liked has closed or something like that. Um, but as far as, you know, big theaters getting knocked down or big buildings getting knocked down, um, I haven't seen a lot of that. You know, there's a, a relatively famous Chicago theater that had to close recently. Um, I 
think, related to the pandemic. But up until that, I think you know most Chicago theaters have been pretty resilient throughout the time that I've been here, at least. Isn't it sad about uh, like all the restaurants and department stores and all these amazing things that are gone because of the mm-hmm. pandemic? It's just really sad. It will not be back. That's what it says. The, um, I'm sorry, it will not come. I'm like, um, we have a beautiful theater in L.A., um, historic. I'm hoping they make it a um, historic place. But it's called Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles, which is one of the first places where you can see Cinerama movies. And uh, it, it, it's dead. I mean, unless somebody can save it, who knows what's going to happen to it. Right. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's like, I think theater is so important, and restaurants are so important, and places like that, and it just, they just can, it's, there's so much on the needle that anything that shakes can make it go poof. Right, yeah. Um, okay, so what is your, this is a really bad transition, what is your latest book you're working on? I'm currently in very early stages of uh, thinking about an outline of a novel about um, a character who was diagnosed with a very rare, very aggressive form of cancer. Um, He's you know, confined to the ICU, he has to be put under heavy sedation, um, and while he's in the ICU and sedated, and then even after he's sedated, kind of, you know, bound or bound to a bed, um, he has these very vivid recurring dreams, and he begins to realize that as he kind of moves the dreams and progresses through the situations in the dreams, that his what happens in the dream starts to affect the progression of his disease. Um, so he becomes more and more involved with the dreams and, and um, eventually begins to hope that kind of his dream world will help him recover from this disease. Hmm, that's really interesting. And um, it, this, isn't, this is still in the working stage, right? Yes, very much so, yeah, very early stages. So what are you, are you doing research now, or are you in the actual writing, or what are you working on for that book? Um, yeah, still uh, researching and kind of thinking about what I want to happen. So um, researching the disease that I want to use and you know, what the symptoms are, uh, what the prognosis is, what the treatment is, what it actually looks like to suffer from this disease to be confined to in the ICU for weeks and months on end, um, and then thinking about how I want to, um, what I want to happen in the dreams in a way that will connect up with what's happening with the disease in, in this person's waking life. <laughs> yeah, that would be scary for any person. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. No, that's just terrifying wow did you have a nightmare yeah. that well, I mean, come? 
Is that where it came from? You had a bad nightmare? <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I don't think I've really had like terrible nightmares. Um, I would say, I guess I, I can't imagine because I'm writing a book about it, but just the thought of actually being in that situation is, is terrifying. Um, but no, I never really had like, I don't even recall any like serious recurring nightmares as a kid. Um, I think it's been a while since I had the, you know, recurring nightmare of like I'm late for an, a test or I'm late for a baseball game in high school or something like that. And, you know, I can't find my jersey or I can't find my notebook and, you know, everything is moving in slow motion or I'm, I seem to be moving in slow motion and the clock, clock keeps, keeps ticking and I'm getting later and later or something like that. But I haven't had those dreams as much lately now that I'm removed from, from school and removed from playing baseball. <laughs> Oh, I actually was thinking of scarier stuff than that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had, like, scary nightmares for a while, and I think even as a kid, I don't, I don't remember any, like, really vivid, scary, recurring nightmares. Um, and your, your late, the book that came out, how's it doing? Um, pretty good. Yeah, I've been pleased with it so far. Um, you know, it's, the feedback from readers and from reviewers has been pretty positive and it seems to be doing pretty well in the market. So I've overall been satisfied with how it's doing. And um, is there going to be a sequel on that or is that going to be standalone? I think Parabellum is going to be standalone. Um, I'm, I think it comes to a pretty natural conclusion at the end, so I'm not, I don't see a path for a sequel for that one. Okay. Um, and uh, is it, that was a really different book. Was, is it now that it's over? Is it just oh, sigh? Thank God. Um. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't say I'm relieved. I, I, I'm proud of it. I'm you know I think it was a positive experience for me, and um, I'm, I'm proud of the work I did, and I'm proud of the eventual product. Um, Someone say it's a sigh of relief. It's just kind of um, a, a good feeling of accomplishment that's out in the world and that people seem to be appreciating it and um, taking it in a lot of the ways that I had hoped it would be and read and accepted. And you've gotten good feedback? I have, yeah. It's been, you know, not overwhelmingly positive, but I think more positive than that. So. Have you been um, exploring other stuff to work on as a writer, like um, like mysteries, or well, not, I mean the classic kind of mystery, or um, I don't know, um, I don't anything. I, it, it's always interesting to try your hand at different fantasy, uh, try your hand at different stuff. Um, you know, I I haven't really um, actively taking the taken the approach that I want to try writing in different genres, but I think I've kind of naturally gone there. So I've written a dystopian science fiction novel. I've written a, what you might call like a literary choose-your-own-adventure style novel um, where the reader gets to decide how the story continues at certain points. Um, and I've written a, a crime novel. Um, and that was not necessarily by design. It's just kind of those genres seem to fit the story 
So it's more, it's more the story first. Yeah, it's more the story first, or the idea first for me, and then um, seeing what genre it fits in afterwards. Do you feel the story picks its own, the story idea picks its own genre? Uh, for me, it does. I mean, I think, you know, like the first story I wanted to tell, um, I, you know, I don't think it would have worked as like a, a fantasy novel in the way it did as a science fiction novel. Um, you know, I think the ideas that I wanted to express in that book were very well suited to or to science fiction versus other genres. So I think that's usually how it happens for me. Now, this is something that's come up in other interviews. When you're working in a specific genre, do you not read that genre? I mean, as, you know, your personal pleasure? Uh, do you stay away from it while you're working on your book? I've heard that from other um, writers, and I'm just curious. No, I have heard that from other writers, too. Um... No, I don't make it a point to stay away from other books in the genre. If I, um, I kind of go two ways on this. If I hear of a book that I think is very similar to what I want to write, I may avoid it just so I'm not um, kind of pulling ideas from that book and putting them into mine. Um, or if I hear of a book that... Um, kind of maybe captures a certain aspect of, one, of a one, what I want to do, then I will read it to try to pull some examples from that. So, um, for example, when I was writing Parabellum, um, you know, as part of my research, I read memoirs uh, from uh, writers who were dealing with depression, um, an NFL player who was dealing with brain trauma, um, uh, memoirs, a memoir by a ex-Marine who was dealing with PTSD um, not because I wanted to kind of copy the voices or take the ideas of those books but because I wanted to kind of get a sense of uh, a first person account of what it was like to have those conditions you know beyond the clinical diagnosis and the um, dry list of symptoms I wanted to have a little more color for the story I wanted to tell and make, make my story feel realistic and feel true yeah, because if you just go by the clinical stuff, you have no heart. And without a heart, people aren't going to be interested in your story. Right. Yeah, you, I think you end up with flat characters and we don't really, can't really capture you know, the emotional and psychological impact of what it's like to live with something like depression or like PTSD. I also have another question. I never asked you this, but does your dialogue... Is that something that's natural to you, or is it something that pops into your head, or is it something that you really have to work on? Um, I think it's, I don't know if it's, I would distinguish dialogue from um, any other writing. I think it, there's sometimes where it comes naturally, um, whether it just kind of pops into your head or whether um, a piece of dialogue feels like it's the right thing for a character to say at a particular point story based on um, the way you the way I've set up my characters and what I how I think the characters would behave and then there are times where I think it's important for a character to say something or for a particular event to happen in the story at a certain place in the story 
and it's a matter of um, trying to make sure that that piece of dialogue of that event seems to occur naturally within the greater context of the story. Um, so yeah, I think with all writing, there's always times when it seems to flow more easily, and there are times where you get stuck and you need to kind of figure a way to work around that stuck point or push through it to get it, get the ideas down on paper. When you're in a social situation and you hear a snatch of conversation that would be like perfect dialogue, how do you remember it? Do you like run to the bathroom and put it in your phone or do you just kind of try to hold on to it till you get home or what do you do? Um, I don't do as much with dialogue, but definitely for you know ideas that I come up with during the day or that are inspired by during the day, I'll jot them down on my phone. Um, I used to have a, a physical journal. Actually, I still have a physical journal, but I don't carry it around with me anymore. So having a phone where you can save notes is pretty convenient for keeping track of writing ideas. I, I just remembered that I was... This is sort of silly, but I was in the bathroom, and in the next two um, stalls, there were two girls talking, and it was like the perfect dialogue for what I was working on because there were young teenagers, and I'm not a young teenager. I wasn't a young teenager when I wrote it, and I'm like, I and it was it was a while ago, so I actually pulled out a. Um, marker that I had in a book and I started writing stuff down in the bathroom on the marker <laughs> so I wouldn't forget because there were some parts of it and I had to ask younger friends what certain words meant because I didn't even <laughs> know it just sounded right for what I was working on but I had no idea what they actually meant <laughs> Because, you know, as as you get older and the generations change, the verbiage changes, and you could be listening to two people talking and have, and they're speaking the same language you are, they're speaking English, and you have not an iota of an idea of what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that happened to me. I was like, oh, this is perfect. I just... I have to find out what it means. <laughs> right, yeah, that's fine. Um, so you have never been uh, inspired like that by a little snatch of conversation you accidentally overheard? Uh, no. I mean, I, I have a few times, but I, I don't recall an instance in, in my recent writing where I like, was working on a story and overheard a conversation that I thought would fit that story. Um, I do have, you know, various writing journals, whether digital or on paper, where I've got little snatches of conversation written down. And maybe one day they'll find a home in a story, but um, I don't think I've had the experience that you've had, at least not recently, where you have to overhear something that would be perfect for the story that I'm working on right now. Well, and the thing was is that I didn't know many people that age, so it mm -hmm. just fit. It was perfect, you know. <laughs> um, you know, they don't want to hang out with an old part. So are you, so your new book, uh, 
when will it be coming out? Do you know? Have any ETA? No. Uh, I would say maybe 2023. It's based on my current, my past pace of writing, um, but it's probably even too early to put a concrete date on it right now. Okay. That's a little long for people to remember. You just have to come back and, and plug it again when it's done. <laughs> okay. I'd be happy to do that. Um, but uh, your other books are all available. You know, issue, uh, they can get them at, like, Amazon or Barnes Noble or any of that stuff, right? Oh, yeah. All the usual places. Okay. And do you have any virtual events coming up that you want people to say know about and maybe pop in? Um, I don't have anything planned right now, so um, that is something that I would, you know, if I have something planned, I would post either on social media or on my website or um, through my email newsletter. Okay. And uh, could you give your website and your handle on the different social medias you are in? Yes. My website is my name, gregdickeywrites.com. Uh, so W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. and um, I have different handles on all those. I wasn't smart enough to uh, claim the same handle on all, all social platforms when I signed up. So I think the easiest way is just for users to search me on uh, whatever platform they use or to go to my website. I have links to all my social platforms there. Great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Greg. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank it's you. always fun to be on the show. Thank you. I love hearing that. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> Lucky Land Slots. 